Hey guys, welcome back to What's the Hazard? This is Doug. I'm sitting here with my buddy Aaron and Cam, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about safety today. Well, leadership actually. It's leadership day. It's that time of the month. It is that time of the <laughs> month, as we say in the, in the safety <laughs> podcast world. Yeah. It is July 23rd, Friday morning, 9.05. Um, I am dragging, man. I don't we're know why exactly. Schedule. We usually do last Friday. Yeah, we're month, usually. I'm gonna, we're both going to be out of town yeah. next weekend, so we're moving this up a week just because... Um, this is important information, and we enjoy the yeah. we enjoy the conversation. And I've actually gotten a, a few questions sent in, so sure. we're going to discuss some of those. Where are you going next week? Um, we are leaving actually tomorrow. I probably shouldn't. Well, I guess this will come out late, so my house won't get <laughs> robbed. Hopefully, um, <laughs> we are going to uh, we're going on that family reunion. We go out. Uh, my wife's family has a, a cabin out in Indiana. You know that lake. Uh huh. And so every summer we go out, get the families together. My wife has three sisters, and so all families get together. You know, the ones that are still able to. Sure. You know, all the kids are grown now, so they all have their own thing going on. But for years, we would do that. And, you know, we just do some fishing, skiing, that kind of so stuff. So it's, it's your wife's side of the family? It's my wife's side of the family. Now, are you, is it one of those things, and, and, I, and I say this, I'm just as guilty, even with my own family, like, you love family reunions, but after a couple of days, you're like, okay, yeah, it's always, I've had enough. You always over plan <laughs> because there's, there's a lot that goes into the trip. So you feel like you need to get your money's worth out of the, but you always overstay. And I think that's, you know, we were just back in LA not too long ago for that wedding, the family wedding. So we saw most of the family sure. at that wedding. So I, I wasn't convinced that we needed this. You've already caught up. Yeah, we yeah we're all everyone's <laughs> caught up. You know that post. You know everybody wanted to get back together after the COVID thing, right. and uh, that was nice. My wife needs to be around her family, but um, this might be too soon. Actually, yeah, we'll see. I go back to Pennsylvania every year, and where I'm from is is a northeastern part. So like getting up into the Poconos, and it's all the Appalachian Mountains, and it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. But all the towns are just little, what I would call bedroom communities. You know, a classic Pennsylvania town, the town was built around the factory or the mine, and now the mine and the factory has since closed, and, and the towns are really dead, mm-hmm. and uh, my town's like that. So I go home and visit, and I love being back because, you know, you grow up in a time when there's no internet, no cell phones, like the town was your playground, you were always out, and then, you know, it was a, for the longest time, even after college, I would go back and still know everybody, but that's not the it's case anymore, to, yeah. right? Yeah, it yeah. hasn't been like that for a while, and the town's dead. And, you know, so you get back there, and you're like, you love being back. Then after a few days, you're just like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I know, you know, man. It's almost depressing being here after a certain it is. point. And so know. that's eastern Pennsylvania? Yeah, northeastern Pennsylvania. Northeastern Pennsylvania. About, I grew up about an hour and some change north of Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's interesting because we used to go to western Pennsylvania when I was living in Columbus, yeah, Ohio. Which is gorgeous too. Beautiful. We go to, you know, that Pittsburgh, but we would go to these little towns that you just described like Butler, uh-huh. Ambridge. All these little towns would host lifting events. They would have like at the VFW or something. Sure. And this was like the <laughs> they Olympic. They still do. The, yeah, the Olympic side was all all the competitions were in Pennsylvania. The powerlifting stuff would be in Ohio. Right. The Olympic lifting stuff. So we would go to these little towns and lift in these meets. I can remember you'd be at the VFW, you'd take a lift, and you'd go sit down at the bar with some regular and have a beer, and then you'd take <laughs> right. your next lift. It was awesome, man. I, I, I loved going that, over. That's one thing, a misconception about the East Coast and Northeast. It's, you know, I think it's all the big cities. It's all cities, New York and Philadelphia. But you know that you, you drive a half hour outside of that city, you're in the mountains, mm-hmm. crystal clear streams, lakes, and the vast majority of the Northeast is 
just beautiful country. Yeah. Um, like New York, especially in Pennsylvania, like everybody thinks New York, New York City, but New York City is just a few square miles of that whole state. You get up upstate New York, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous, yeah. And it's unfortunate the cities well, so, <laughs> ruin it. Yeah, they do. They just, well, so, so how do you guys regard uh, Rolling Rock beer? Because um, so, that's from the it eastern is, it Pennsylvania. Is, it is. Not so is Yingling. Yingling. Now, right. Yingling is the pride and joy. Is it? It's the oldest brewery in America. Is it okay? So Yingling is the true pride and joy. Rolling Rock is like the redheaded stepbrother. Okay, you know, well, um, I drank my share when I was living in Ohio. Because and the little was, green bottles. Yes, the little, the little green, green bottles, bottles, man. Exactly. Well, we should probably get to this. Um, <laughs> you know, reminiscing a little bit. Um, this episode, as always, is brought to you by three incredible sponsors. I I need to mention them: Custom Concrete Specialists and Cheyenne Wolford. Fallowich Construction Services, John Fallowich, and the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group, and our buddy Jim Cover. If you are eligible and not using on-site consultation for your assistance, um, I would highly recommend that you give Jim a call or check them out. I, I get called pretty regularly about industrial hygiene services, you know, air monitoring, noise monitoring, things like that. And I am more than happy to do that for my clients. That's a service that we offer. But it is expensive, and uh, I know that it's actually cost prohibitive to a number of small companies. And so if you go through the state consultation group, they will do all of that for you free. The analysis is free. You know, the it's just not as good. It's not as good. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's fine. You know, Jimmy's a – and I, he knows. We, were, we actually did it at the same time back in the field in the old days. But, okay, it's not as good. But having said that – You get that, what you pay for, right? But it is a lot less expensive. So keep them in mind. If you, if you have not used consultation, give them a call and check it out. Um, we are going to talk about leadership today, man. And uh, I've gotten some questions that I want to run by you. Perfect. Um, I also, and maybe this is going down a bad road, but you, you are in a unique position. You are still in the Air Guard. Air Force Reserve. Air Force Reserve. Same thing, just different pots of money. Okay. So you, right. Air Force, you have an Air Force life. You have an, uh, um, an academic life at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. You have a small business life, you know, you, uh, Mid-America Martial Arts, who is also a sponsor of this podcast. And, and uh, so you're teaching young people, you're working with students all the time. So you have, you, you see a pretty wide swath of I America. Do. I so do. I'm, I'm going to read you this quote that we've talked about before. And I want, I just, I would, you see things that many of us don't see. So this, this comes from G. Michael Hopf. And it came to us recently by um, Jim Wendler, who was uh, just an, a lead head. He actually who happens s- to be the shirt the guy that sold us these T-shirts for <laughs> five bucks a piece. Apparently, you got a nicer one than me. But this quote ca- came out, and then Wendler repeated it recently. It said, "Hard times create strong, I'll say, people." Okay, that's not the word that they it's men. Yes, we know. We don't want to. Hard times anybody. create strong people. Strong people create good times. Good times create weak people. And weak people create hard times. I thought that was really actually quite astute, you know, this cycle, you know. And, um, and where are we in the cycle based on your well, there, impression? You know, if you look throughout history, this cycle continues to repeat itself. It does. Like it every repeats time, itself. Every time there's a major conflict in the world, you're like, how did we get here from there? And if you look at it, it's this cycle just repeating itself. Mm-hmm. You it know, seems you have... Be strong leaders uh, in office or in positions of power. And it's just like on a playground. He who carries the big stick. 
Okay. Well, if there's nobody carrying a big stick, what happens? Anybody and anybody can start to pipe up or take control or, or do something they normally wouldn't do. Right. Playground anarchy. Right. And then it, the anarchy ensues. And then until somebody comes around with a big stick and settles everything down. Right. And this is really what it's talking about is that uh, we as a society, whether we want to, we can sit here and say, everybody's created equal. We treat each other's dignity and respect and everybody's on the same level, yada, yada, yada. But we know truth is, is that human beings generally are selfish we're self-centered. Uh, we're always going to look out for ourselves first. We can talk about uh, having a social mindset and everybody helping everybody, which I agree. But at the end of the day, who are you going to look out for first? And in understanding that, we saw that in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. COVID. Everybody freaked out. Okay, everybody, we're running short on diapers. Only take what you need. Yeah, bullshit. Everybody <laughs> filled their cart and, and, and was looking out for themselves, right? Even the people without little children. Sure. Just, so I want diapers, man. So what we're saying is, what the quote's saying is, it takes a strong person. You, society needs strong people to keep society in check and to keep order. And when that strong person disappears order disappears and it doesn't reestablish itself until that big stick shows that back cycle up. completes itself right you look at you know so um you know countries societies within societies countries it happens constantly and all the time so um if you just look at politics you know as you know the voting cycle comes around and, and different entities get in power you see it happen mm -hmm. over and over and over um, it's just part of the cycle. Is it inevitable life. then that, and I love the fact that you inserted the term leader in there mm -hmm. where I said people, where the author had said men, whatever, but I think the term leader actually fits in there even better. Is it inevitable that, you know, good times are going to, you know, these uh, weak time, you know, soft times are going to create weak leaders? I mean, is that, is that an inevitability that we don't, you know, I mean, it's almost like complacency to some degree. It, it's a double-edged sword, right? I think weak leaders can create soft times, and then the environment, a soft environment, just naturally pushes a weak leader mm -hmm. to the top until somebody comes along and just takes control. Um, you know, for fear of getting too political, I, I feel our society, we are experiencing a soft time right now mm -hmm. in our society. Uh, we have a couple of generations, and this goes into some of the leadership questions that are being asked. We have a couple of generations of, you know, the participation medal concept where everybody gets treated. We don't reward the winner mm -hmm. anymore. Um, we don't uh, push people necessarily to be the best at the expense of other people. And, and that just naturally creates a softness um, in our society. And I think a lot of business leaders are seeing this and are feeling the ramifications. Like, how often do you hear, I just can't find anybody that wants to work? Like, constant. it's constant, right? And everywhere is hiring, yet we have high unemployment rate. Well, why is that? Well, nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to do hard work anymore, or at least a lot fewer people. There are fewer people in the trades. That's a fact. Nobody can dispute that. Nobody wants to take those manual labor jobs anymore. That's a fact. Nobody can dispute that. There are more people running around, going to college, and sitting there with degrees without jobs. That's a fact. Nobody mm -hmm. can dispute that. Yeah, I've got one of those. Um, and, and you sit there and go, I can't find work. I'm like, I know a roofer that will put you on the roof today. Well, right. I don't want to do that kind of work, right? So in that respect, I think that there's a softness, like the blue-collar aspect of our country anyway is disappearing at a rapid rate. And, and we're starting to see that. 
Um, nobody wants to get their hands dirty and do a hard day's work anymore. Um, hell, you have people quitting jobs because, well, they're not going to let me work from home, so screw them. I'm not going back it's in. It's like, oh, I'm sorry that your boss who's paying you to do work wants you to do work at a specific place, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you can argue it's, you know, the, the sense of entitlement, the sense of, you know, I should make my own decision, do what I want. I get all that. But again, going back to the quote, um, it's created a softness society-wide. And now you, there's a void in leaders in a lot of cases. Um, you'll see companies, this happens within companies. You see the rise and fall of companies. And it's directly related to the type of leader that's mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a company that's not doing well, and then you get a new CEO who's a very strong uh, presence, you know, a strong leader that's pulling people with and the company starts to come back up and then that person leaves and then you get a a weak leader, right, to come in and now the company starts to struggle again, right, because everybody takes cue uh, from there on out. So, you know, and you got to define what's a strong leader, what's a a strong man for the quote. Sure, Um, There's another quote out there. um, It's like a, a, there's always a picture of a Viking with it, but it's like... um, it basically refers to that, you know, the fact that society is now civilized uh, has made uh, people more willing to do things than they normally wouldn't in an uncivilized society, meaning that you'll now do things and say things to my face that you normally wouldn't before. In an uncivilized society, I could slap you in the face and check you on that and right. now draw that line in the sand. But, you know, as society softens, and those things aren't considered appropriate, right? There is no check. There's no or check in place, right? That, that we, we've we've legislated that ability to be a strong person mm-hmm. out, right? Yeah. I can't. I can't. You walk up to me and do something that I don't approve of. I can't smack you because I go to jail, mm-hmm. right? So you will do things that in past years history you wouldn't do, normally do because now you know. I'm handcuffed. There's no consequence. Right. Well, the consequence is there, but you know I'm going to jail, right? So you'll yeah. do it, right? Because you know that there's there's laws, legislation, there's societal norms now in place that'll prevent me or mm-hmm. they'll discourage me. It doesn't really prevent me. It discourages me from acting out in a certain way. Right. 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 So now, you know, circling back to the quote, it takes a strong man. Well, we've created societal norms and laws and, and rules that make it harder and harder. Yeah. I do think you see this in workplaces all the time now. You know, in the past, I would never go into a workplace and see people just openly just standing around doing nothing. You know, now I go into workplaces all the time and and it looks like the employees are just either unmotivated or they don't fear any consequence. I can remember when I was a young man working and you were always working when I was a kid. That was my dad insisted on that, but you didn't just. You just worked. You didn't assume that it was okay to, you know, take those liberties and do things like that. And I, th- I think that, you know, maybe this, you know, when things are going well and things have been, now the COVID is kind of an outlier on all of this, but, you know, when we do tend to get, um, things are easier, we do tend to get complacent. You know, from a sure. safety standpoint, when we've had a nice long run of no accidents, no injuries, I, I think it's inevitable that there's a certain complacency. Even right. the leadership, even strong leaders probably relax to some degree. Mm-hmm. They become a little bit, you know, a self-satisfied. So the quote I was talking about was by Robert Howard, who was the creator of Conan. 
Oh, yeah. And the quote is, civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split. <laughs> I think there's some right? truth but, to but that. It, but oh, these, yes. these both play off of each other, right? Yes. Because now, um, if you look at organizations, leaders, one of the challenges of leadership, which is one of our questions, one of the modern challenges is that you now have employees who are more entitled. They feel like they have more rights. They feel like they can, no, I don't want to. Or you can't tell me to do that. Or I'm just not coming in today. And and now there are a lot of leaders that, that don't feel they can act in certain ways. They're afraid to fire people because you know the lawsuit's coming. You're afraid to tell someone, hey, get off your ass and work because now you got a social, you know, you got issues coming in. There's people protesting out in front of you. You have to worry about who you hire and how you hire, right? You just can't hire who you think is going to do the best job anymore mm-hmm. necessarily, right? right? Especially how high, depending on how high profile the company is. We all know there's hiring quotas and, and all kinds of things in place now. And rightfully so in some cases, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for it all. Um, but you know, as, as the society changes, like we're talking about now, the leadership, the, the workforce reflects that. And now there's leadership challenges that come into play with that as well. You know, just the ability, we, I have an HR, um, a kid, um, in my martial arts class, I shouldn't say kid, he's in this, I think he's 30 at this point, but He's like a VP level HR person. And we have a lot of discussions about this. And he, it's, I, I, you couldn't pay me enough to be an HR right now. It's almost mm-hmm. as bad as being a cop, mm-hmm. right? Because it, the, the, the things they have to deal with because of what we're talking about, because of the level, because employees feel more entitled. They feel they have more rights. They feel, and they do have rights, don't get me wrong. But what a lot of people don't understand is those rights stop at the door when it comes to business, right? Because there's, there's business law. Um, a lot of the, you know, the rights apply to government oppression, not business mm-hmm. oppression. And oppression is probably a bad term, but business rules or whatever. Um, but they'll have employees caught on camera stealing and they'll be like, you can't fire me. And, and employers are afraid to fire the person know. because they know, you know, they know the lawsuit's coming. Yeah. Uh, so it's some, there's a time and a place to be a strong leader, to put your foot down, to, the buck stops here. This is not happening. But sometimes in this day and age, leaders are afraid to do that because of the other ramifications, the other issues it's going to cause. Yeah. That, well. that brings up an interesting point, man. I hope I remember it, but I do want to do our uh, supporters spotlight before we get too deep into the questions. I think, you know, we've been highlighting a local company, a local small business on each episode, and we've been talking recently about. Hinko and uh, Kristen Hodge and her company. She's a local small business person. She has a company that helps employers with issues like ergonomics or safe lifting or back health, all of those things that are orthopedic, kind of this proactive approach to keeping our employees healthy and well and functioning at a high level. One of the things she does that I think is incredibly valuable is Come, she will come in and do like awareness training or informational training to safety committees or other groups about ergonomic risk factors. And I hear it all the time when I go into employers, you know, they are asking their employees to identify or notify them when they see something hazardous out in the workplace. But if we don't train our employees about what is hazardous or what is a risk factor, I don't think we're going to have much success with that. So if you are if you are in that position where you are asking your employees to notify you when they see something unsafe or hazardous or of, of concern out in the work environment, be sure that you give them adequate training and prepare them to be able to do that for you successfully. And 
And uh, I think Kristen would be a big help with that. So if you are interested, give Kristen a call or find her business, Hinco. I think it's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at HincoSolutions.com. So hook up with her, get her in your facility, and uh, let her help you with um, proactive safety. So getting back, we have a <laughs> so, yeah. It's like a, it's my advertisement. No, she's a great she's a great gal. She does a great job, and um, we appreciate her help. So I did get some questions. You know, I get email questions periodically about leadership and things that come in, and so I just kind of pull them together. And so I'll give you uh, some of these questions. Um, but I had a, something came to mind when you were talking, and that I think it was when you have how does a leader function when you have employees that do not fear some kind of repercussion from their actions? They don't fear getting fired. They don't, you know, they're not worried. They know that you don't have enough labor. They know that if they drag in late or they call in, and I'm, I hear this from a number of employers, much like you just described. I can't fire them because I don't have bodies. I can't, you know, sure. I mean. Well, there's two things here, right? What do you right? do with that? Is it you, even possible? This, this is a positive and a negative. So you want to create an environment where your employees have freedom of movement, have freedom to be creative and innovative, to make mistakes without repercussion. But there are mistakes in the effort to do better. There are mistakes in the effort of getting better or improving the environment. Oh, you screwed up. Uh, but I see what you're trying to do. Uh, how, how are we going to fix that? They're finding problems and fixing them, right? So you want to encourage that. You want them to be able to screw up without repercussion. But, you know, what we say, failing forward type of okay. approach. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, in a defiant way, in, in the whole, you can't make me and I don't want to, that's, that's a different scenario, right? And I, we're starting to see some of that creep into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I even see it at UNO. Well, it's, it's not fair. I shouldn't have to. It's not fair you're making me. <laughs> or why do we have to? It's like, well, because I said so, right? Right. But that's not a valid answer anymore because I said so. Shut up and go back to work, right? That, that there's a lot of pushback on that approach. And, and, and to some degree, I, I agree. Um, I think there's a time and a place People should be told to shut up in color. I'll explain it to you later. Um, but an explanation, the understanding of the why behind we're doing things is important as well. But, um, you know, the, the lack of workforce uh, is a serious issue right mm-hmm. now because you see hiring signs everywhere, everywhere. Um, and what are you going to do when you're trying to – I've run into myself. I've had to let somebody go – but I held on longer than I should have because I know it's going to be a pain in the butt getting somebody back in there. Right. Because not only do you have to find someone, you have to train them up. There's going to be a level, a learning curve till they're actually proficient in what they do. And that it sometimes takes months to do that. And it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, do I do I want to get rid of this person and go through that hassle? Or do I just, just hold on and, and you know, and, and coddle them and just right. get them to do what I need to do? Just get keep, as much out of them as you forward. can. And, and that's, a, that's a tough position to be in. It's, it's always easy to say, well, just get rid of them and find somebody new. Well, it's not that easy, especially in this environment, because it could take months to find somebody new, especially in, in higher profile positions or positions that, create, that require a higher amount of accountability. Um, I had a friend of mine, um, of course, being military, um, it's easy to say, Oh, just get rid of them because people follow orders. People do what they're supposed to do for the most part. You have personnel department 
just giving you and quote unquote employees all the time. Like you, you never have to go without, um, and you're not really paying people either. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no one strikes. There's no, nobody says I'm not going to show up today or anything like that. So, you know, I've had discussions with, you know, retired military people. And one of the reasons they struggle in, uh, the corporate world, because in their mind, we'll just get rid of them. And we'll get someone else in there. And I'm like, who are you going to get? And how are you going to do this? Because it costs you money to fire somebody. It costs you money to hire somebody. Yeah. Uh, you might be on a hiring freeze, and then you're screwed. You can't get anybody can't in there. That and it might take you six months to a year to find somebody. And then it might it'll take another six months to get them to a level of proficiency. Who's going to do that work while you're going through this process? Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, you might get sued in the process. Yeah. Unfortunately, right? We're, we're in that environment where everybody's too happy. And uh, so because just because they messed up on the job, you can wrongfully terminate them if you didn't give them ample opportunity to correct their mistakes or give them the tools they needed uh, to do the job properly, you know, right. yada, yada, yada. So it's just not that easy to, yeah. to get rid of someone. I mean, it is, but at the same time, it isn't. There are ramifications yeah. in doing that, and there are uh, headaches involved in that as well. Uh you know, I know people that are looking to hire right now. And then you have to look at the financial aspect of it. I need somebody in here. Well, what's your pay scale? It's this. You're like, oh, good luck. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Trying to find someone at that pay rate. And I understand that because you got to figure out what works best for the company and what, you know, what pay scale. And, you know, so there's challenges there as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, you joke, you get what you pay for, but you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as... And the, the COVID, COVID has driven the price of everything up. So yeah. people are needing and wanting to make more money. Um, employees now are holding out for more money than they ever did before, uh, which I find is funny because unemployment is so high. Yeah. <laughs> like it's well, like they're certainly jumping $50,000 is beneath me. Well, the no dollars you're making now is beneath that. So <laughs> right. let's, let's. Have but they seem to be, here. yeah, they seem to be jumping ship. And I, you know, this competition for those entry level employees is so great that well, the company on the corner raises their, you know, hourly rate that is 25 cents and the employees are jumping. It's you crazy. Know, growing up, uh, our parents and, and to us to some degree, it was you got a job, you worked there, you stayed loyal for 30 years, 40 years, got your pension and retired. Um, you know, the elimination of pensions open the door for people to start moving around. Um, but even then, usually you, you stayed and grew, grew with a company. Um, you know, when the market crashed around, it was 2008 or whatever, a lot of companies leaned out and flattened out, so there wasn't as much upward mobility. Um, you're still seeing that in a lot of companies, there's not as much upward mobility. And so now job hopping is quite, off, quite common. Mm-hmm. You look at somebody's resume, and every three years they're moving. So now... As a leader of a company, I can clearly see you're not loyal to anybody but yourself. But you're going to show up and say, I want to come work here, and I expect you to invest in me while I'm working here. And I'm going, well, you're going to be leaving in two years, in three years. Odds are. Like, I can see mm-hmm. it. So how much do you want me to invest in you? Right. So it's it's this it's this circular argument. It's like, I know I need to invest in you for you to stay, but you're likely going to leave the second a better opportunity comes along. So how much do I really want to invest in you? Cause I know you're not really loyal to me. You're only loyal to yourself. So how do I bridge that gap to get you to be loyal and hoping that you'll stay and not me put money into you and not get no return on, mm-hmm. on my investment. Right. So it's like, there's this dynamic and, and a lot of companies struggle with this. Mm-hmm. 
right? Which is why a lot of companies won't hire if they see you've been bouncing around. Yeah. Uh, they won't hire if you don't have the experience. Um, they'll tend, you know, is there is a big youth movement, but they also know that, okay, it's going to be a rotating door. Yeah, that's tough. And how am I supposed to give you upward mobility if you're going to leave? Like, I can't promote you in a, in a year. Yeah. I don't even know how good of a worker you are yet. Right. right? I, I don't even know how much workload I can put on you or what, you know, what your results are going to be. Um, and now you want upward mobility? You know, I, yeah. I tell my students at UNO, I go, the word upward mobility should not come out of your mouth in an interview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, well, you know, how quickly am I going to get promoted? I'm like, you haven't even started yet. Right. We'll see. Like, you, you need to shut up in color and learn the job for a while. You need to learn the culture of the company. You need to show work ethic. You need to show that you can provide results. Uh, you need to show you can add value. You can add more value than what they thought you could. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you start talking about mm-hmm. upward mobility. But, however, employees, younger employees are expecting it yeah. incredibly soon in their careers now. Right. But as I've told my... I have a son that just graduated from college, and he is kind of in that initial job market. But I, I've, and I've told a number of other young, young, this is a great opportunity for upward mobility if you are willing to take the job, work hard. In certain industries. Commit yourself. I think there is an opportunity for upward mobility if you are willing to make that commitment. In if certain industries. In, if you right? walk in demanding it, I, I'm not sure how. Sure, you know, sure. But in certain industries, there is a log jam. Right, because you you have there's a really dynamic time now in terms of generations all in the workforce at the same time. You still have some boomers hanging around, right? Why? Because all their pensions disappeared, and so they're working later in life because retirement. It's more expensive to retire now. It's mm-hmm. more expensive to live. Um, you have my generation who's been hanging out, waiting for those opportunities. You've got you know the millennials and zennials who are the largest workforce ever to come in. Uh, screaming for upward mobility, my generation saying, hold the hell on, I've been here longer than you, and I'm waiting for the old man to die so I can move up. So, you know, there is a logjam in, in some places, and companies are now more leaned out. There's less upward mobility. They're more flat than tall. Yeah. In that respect, it just makes economic sense. Um, so it's unique dynamic in, in terms of that. And um, it's easier to get into business now. There's a lot more companies, especially in the tech side, there's a lot more companies popping up. And, Business is now global because of the internet, so it's easier to get on a global scale faster. So there's more opportunities to bounce around and job hop and, and take jobs. But I always, I always tell kids, be careful. Uh, I'm going to work for a startup. Well, let me know when you're looking for a job in a year, because odds are that startup's not going to be around. Yeah. All right, just you know, we know that statistics say it's not going to be around. Um, but it's a sexy thing to say. I'm working for a startup. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. um, we just got a round of funding uh, from an investor, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean you made money. That means somebody took a flyer on you, and you still got to figure out how to make money, We're right? keeping the doors open. Right, for but, but, but that's very commonplace now. Mm-hmm. And, but one thing you're seeing is the trades are still lacking. Why? Because yeah. it's trade work. It's blue-collar work. There's not as much upward mobility. It's mundane work that nobody wants to do anymore. It seems, yeah. And that's where you're really seeing the difficulty in getting employees. And that, and that one of the problems that I see most frequently, particularly, you know, in industrial settings, construction settings, you know, this, this entry-level labor workforce, one of the expectations from an OSHA standpoint is that you train these employees. There's, 
there's training that they must have from a safety standpoint, you know, that from a limited perspective, but they have to have training before you can put them out in the workplace. And so most employers are reluctant to give them this training because they, they don't know if they're going to stay for the full day. Sure. They come in, you know, you, you give them a little orientation, you give them their PPE, you put them out on the floor, they leave for lunch, they don't come back. And you spent the whole day training and them. And you spent a day training. So, paying them. To- <laughs> yeah, and you paid them to sit through this training or you gave them this equipment, you know. I mean, I, I see employers all the time that are really frustrated with the fact that I have to give them this training. I am required to do this before I can put them out on the sure. floor and they leave. And and sometimes they're giving them not not inexpensive equipment or mm-hmm. whatever that might be and they just disappear at lunchtime. That's you know? probably, you know, and again, it's industry specific, but you know, as far as modern leadership challenges, that's probably one of the biggest is it's huge. figuring out how to keep people mm-hmm. knowing it's commonplace to job hop. It's commonplace to jump ship in a, in a heartbeat. Employees have less loyalty than they ever have. And, yeah. and it's on the leadership to figure out how to foster and create that loyalty, mm-hmm. right, and grow it and figure out how to keep people. That's there's, great. there's lots of ways to do it, but it, it's very complex because different things resonate with different people. You know, some people, all they need is to have a foosball table or you showing the effort to do things like mm-hmm. that, and, and they're very loyal to you. Uh, some people, it's you know how much you invest in the community will win their loyalty. Some people, it's uh, how important are families, how much do you include the mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. Um, wins their loyalty. Some, some it's just the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Some it's the fringe benefits. Some it's just the fact that you care about them. And it's all those things right. and understanding what resonates with each employee to then win that loyalty and then nurture it and foster it and yada, yada, yada. Um, knowing that the backdrop is job hopping is commonplace yeah. and even encouraged, right, in, in some cases. Yeah. So uh, that's, a, that's a huge modern-day leadership challenge. It really is, man. Um, even, even universities now are experiencing because students will hop between universities at the drop of a hat. Online education has made it easy to go anywhere to educate, mm-hmm. so I don't have to stay Right at the local university. Right, I don't. I can get cheap education anywhere, and they can just go from year to year to year, go to different schools or institutions. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Well, that really is tough. Um, so but, you know, you're seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a great, and that was question number one. What you know? What are the most challenging leadership challenges faced today? Retention, loyalty, and retention is a huge one, and I you know, I see the frustration on the faces of the plant managers and the the company people that I work with that, you know, they're constantly looking to fill positions and they are constantly losing people. Sure. You, you see that a hard time finding people. You see that more in the blue collar. Of course. Right. The tech world, there's, you know, they got more applicants than they need for the most part. Um, You see it more blue collar. And a lot of that is we have a couple of generations now that I don't want to say brainwashed that were taught and, and learned to go to college, get the fair-paying job, um, those type of jobs are beneath you if you have a degree. So what does that naturally do? It thins out that segment of people willing to do that kind of work. Yeah. There's just fewer people willing to do that kind of work. Yeah. That's just, it is what it is. Is that um, Does that go back to that initial quote to some degree? I mean, when things are going well and soft and, you know, people are going to I school, would, they want to... I would... I would venture the guess. Like, you and I both know, growing up, you learned 
to work outside. You learned to work with your hands. Like if you want to be sexist, that's what boys did. You learned to use tools. You learned to mm-hmm. build shit. You learned to mow the lawn and, and, mm-hmm. and do all those things. I would bet if you went into a high school and, and threw a set of tool, basic tools down, screwdrivers, hammers, and wrenches, half the kids would look at you like, what the hell are these? And I don't yeah. know how to use them. Right. Th- th- to be quite agree. honest, for being honest. I right. Agree. So, so what does that lend itself to do? What kind of work are they naturally going to want to do if they haven't been raised doing those things already? You know, yeah. every, every, and I say blue collar, every type of trade is hurting on people, mechanics, mm-hmm. um, you know, restaurants, servers, uh, factory workers, you know, builder, you know, any, any type of welders, electricians, plumbers. I mean, they're all dying for people right now, yeah. construction everywhere. And, but I think that's a direct correlation to, well, we have generation, a couple generations of kids now that just didn't grow up doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up, you, you learned to hunt, you learned to fish. Right. Your bicycle broke, you learned how to fix it. You never took it to the bike shop, one you couldn't afford to, but you just right. you just somehow rigged it to get it to work, and off you went until it broke, and you went flying over the handlebars <laughs> right, right. again. But, but that's or, true. Or your dad or your uncle or somebody would teach you how to fix it. You didn't just walk up and say, Dad, fix this, or Uncle John, fix this. They said, no, come here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to learn how to fix this. Right. I'm going to show you how to fix it. I don't think that happens near as much anymore. Yeah. And you're seeing that now in the workforce. Mm-hmm. You're seeing people not wanting to take those jobs mm-hmm. because it's been, ah, oh, I'm educated. That type of work is beneath me. It's even to the point where I'm not taking an entry-level position. I have a degree. Right. Well, if everybody has a degree, guess what? You're back at an entry-level <laughs> right. position, right? Of course. Just, it is what it is. Of course. It is interesting, man, and and uh, I am guilty to some degree of that. You know, when my boys were growing up, um, I involved them to some degree in, you know, mow the grass, wash the cars, do those kind of things, a few chores around the house, make your bed, those kind of things. But, you know, unlike my father, who was a farm kid, you know, and who had you up at 6.30 every Saturday morning mm-hmm. helping him in the garage with some project, I didn't do that. You know, my boys... If they were going to learn to weld, it was going to be on some computer simulation, sure. you know, or something because sure. they were. I'm guilty too. My kids, my kids, can't do anything manually. Yeah, man. Um, and now a lot of that is the dynamic between myself and their and their mom. Their mom is one of those people who doesn't do any manual labor either, right? right. Um, and and would find a way around it or quit that sure. job or hire someone to hire do somebody. It. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up working slave labor, typical Italian family in the kitchen of my dad's restaurant mm-hmm. didn't get paid a dime because I was told to do it. And that right. was, it was expected and you learned to work and you just worked right. Because it kept the roof on your head. Like, that was a dad. Why don't I get paid? You got a roof on your head. Don't you <laughs> right. clothes on your back? I'm like, oh, you're okay. getting paid. Um, that, that culture doesn't exist. It does yeah. in some cases, right? There's obviously some, there's pockets where kids that are raised on farms still, I think yeah. have that work ethic, but for the most part, um, there's much less of it. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see that now in those career fields. There's just yeah. fewer people doing yeah. it. Um, and good, bad, right, wrong, and different. I don't know. You it can, argue, you can argue either and way. To some degree, many of those things will become more automated anyway. Some of those, sure. the manual labor jobs will become more automated, either because it's more efficient, it's more economically efficient, or because of a shortage in the labor availability, whatever that is. Right. But, but, it, but I, going, back, going back to the original quote, you know, a strong person, a capable, maybe a better word is a capable person, 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of argument that we are less capable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. a lot of ways. Well, I, 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 every time I go into a facility, I was down at a, at a, I have a client that is a trucking companies, you know, they, they own a fleet of trucks. They, they ship liquids around. And so they have a trailer shop where they work on the trailers. They have truck shops where they sure. work on the trucks, keep all of these. Those kind of liquids. If the thing turned over, we're all dead. Exactly. Those <laughs> liquids. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, um, I go down into those shops and I watch the employees that are working on these vehicles or trailers. And I'm thinking, Damn, man, I couldn't do that. You know, I never learned how to do any of that stuff. I mean, I could, you know, just basic, basic, basic automotive stuff, you know, uh-huh. change the tires, maybe change an air filter or something back when you could actually get to it. But um, I'm watching, there there are young men doing some of these jobs and, you know, they, I don't know where, you know, they probably came through either a blue collar family where their father had been involved in that type of work, or maybe they just had an interest in it and went through some kind of a, a program, a trade school. school or something, mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah, if it was up to me, we would be, I would be digging ditches for water to flow from here to there. You right. know, I mean, I just, you know. I think in a lot of cases in that respect, the technology has made it harder. When we were growing up, most engines in a car were pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Anybody could get in there and wrench on them with just some logic and reason you can figure out how it works. And, you know, now the, the technology and the computer chips and the way things are built, like you said, you can't even get in. You got to, you got to drop the axle to get to the freaking oil filter. <laughs> right. You know, it's a, it, it, it makes yeah. it harder for the everyday person to work on it. And it so I, I respect that and understand how you have to take it to a specialist, but even then there's fewer of those specialists, fewer, out specialists, there, fewer and yeah. fewer all the time, because it's just a line of work, right? The, mm-hmm. the stigma that mm-hmm. goes with being a mechanic. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think sways this dissuades a lot of kids from wanting to do it. I think it does too, which is you know we unfortunate. When I was in high school, we had what was called Votech, uh, vocational technical school, and what it was is kids would spend half the day at the high school and then half the day at the community college learning a trade. Mm-hmm. And it was always well, that's what the dumb kids did, mm-hmm. right? Because it was the kids that went to learn auto mechanics, went to learn construction, plumbing, electrician. Right. And the girls went to learn salon type stuff or whatever mm-hmm. esthetician type things but that's what always the dumb kids did right they would just take the basic reading writing arithmetic and then go to trade school well fast forward a few years when the rest of us are coming back for college trying to find jobs they're already apprentice journeymen sometimes mm-hmm. owning their own damn companies right right because they have a sellable skill set and trade now most of them are owning you know they're the ones with a fleet of 10 trucks, I know. you know, servicing the entire town and killing it, just absolutely killing it. And, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's I, hindsight. It's, it's like, wow. Um, and I haven't been in the high schools, but I, I wonder how many high schools are still running programs like that where kids can go for half the day and learn mm-hmm. a trade, a marketable trade. I know they exist. And then immediately after high school, go be an apprentice somewhere mm-hmm. or journeyman somewhere or the uh, unions are just sitting there waiting for them like, hey, man, we got a job waiting yeah. for you right now. I know you've been in, you know, the Votech or whatever happens to be. I know, like Metro does that, mm-hmm. you know, Metro, you can you can go. Yeah, and, and they have the Omaha Public Schools down at the old Tech High School. They call it the TAC building now. Mm-hmm. They have kind of these, uh, they have a construction academy. They have uh, kind of a media academy sure. if you're interested in like something like that, broadcast media or something like that. I wonder, and, and I'll have to do some research, like what are the percentage of kids doing it now compared to yeah, that's an interesting 30 question. years ago, 40 years ago? I, I, would, yeah. I would 
bet it's much much the less. numbers are down and i'm totally I guessing so here too. but i would bet it's much less and the, and, and, there, as you and said, the workforce is reflecting that oh absolutely right it's just there's no there's no denying that yeah no doubt and and you know <laughs> to your point they used to we used to call that alternative school as if you know you couldn't make it through like school <laughs> that does school. sound terrible <laughs> so we're sending you to alternative school and uh, that stigma probably Persist, you know, certainly with the parents as well as the kids. I mean, the parents are like, oh, no, no, Johnny's going to go to college and get that degree in uh, philosophy. No disrespect, Kent, you know. Well, and, uh, I, I think, um, you know, I lost my thought there. It's, you know, being alternative just, just goes to show you that uh, just the stigma around that mm-hmm. kind of work mm-hmm. that exists now. And, and, and a lot of it, the argument is, well, it doesn't pay enough. If you get... If you make it, if you raise the pay, more people will do it. Well, th- that's an absolute lie. Mm-hmm. We know that. If you understand Maslow's hierarchy needs in, in any realm, you know monetary reward reimbursement is, is at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Right? right? The top of the right. pyramid is self-actualization, betterment of self, realizing um, your ideal self and, and driving towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, increasing pay won't change that. And, and I, I've done this in my classes. Like I, I promise you, I could walk into any one of my classes uh, at the university and say, who wants to make a hundred thousand dollars a year? Every hand will go up. And if I say, I'm going to put you on a roof today in the hundred degree weather, every hand will go down. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because now when you put it in context of the type of work, or you're going to be working in the sewer eight hours a day, no one will want that hundred. You can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Some will. Some will take it. The vast majority will not, mm-hmm. because I'm an educated person. That type of work isn't associated with an educated person. Right beneath me or whatever. It, it, it's just you know the association. I'm educated. There's a certain type of job I'm supposed to have, mm-hmm. and working in a sewer for whatever pay. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody has a number that, that, they'll, that they'll do something for, right? Even, right. you know, even I, I, so vile, I can actually work in a suit. Even the most vile things they will, uh, they will I'm do. Interested. Right. But for the most part, you know, depending who you're in front of, they won't take the job. Like the money, the money's not worth doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So when, when the argument is, well, if we raise minimum wage, we raise livable wage, more people will do these jobs. It simply isn't true. I would agree. You're not going to get more people in the factory because, Suddenly, they're making instead of fifteen bucks an hour, they're making twenty five bucks an hour doing that mundane job over mm-hmm. and over and over, day in and day out, or jobs in your industry that if they screw up, they're they're going to lose a limb. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to convince you know, quote unquote, an educated person that well, hey, you can make seventy grand a year doing this job, but you might get your fingers cut off because you're working around a circular saw that's rolling at twenty thousand revolutions per minute, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, cutting you know cattle bones in half all day long, all day long, eight hours a day. Yeah. And you're expected to work every other Saturday too. You you just, the, the, the money doesn't push people to do that, you know? And, and that's kind of an, a a cop out an easy out that a lot of leaders think, well, if we pay more, we'll get better people. That's just simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. That's a great point. And the idea that if I pay them more, they'll do better work. Mm Mm-hmm is grossly false. Also un- untrue. And, and don't, don't worry, I'm in the teaching profession, and I think teachers, it's a noble profession, right? Not enough people teach, like teaching, especially, 
young kids in the elementary school level, like the critical stages in their life, like those teachers are saints. But this idea that, well, if you double their pay, they'll teach better. Couldn't be yeah. more false. Like we know people don't work harder just because you give them more money. Right. 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 We, that's just, we, we know that. That's yeah. been proven time and again. You don't start working harder because you, unless it's like a commission based type of scenario. Mm hmm. But or even you then, have some control over but that. even then, that's a different animal, right? Not every the majority of people are not built to work in a commission based scenario. Mm-hmm. It takes very type A, self motivated, incredibly disciplined. Right. I'm paving my own path. It's on me. I understand that. I'm not going to rely on anybody. What I make is what I make, and I'm going to go get it. There's, there's that is by far the exception than the rule, which is why when you see like sales jobs, you have a few people that are killing it, and then there's everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. right. You go on a car lot, you'll see a handful of older guys and girls, and then a bunch of young people, right? Because they're all rotating in and out because they don't have what it takes to sit there mm-hmm. and, and pull it off. But you got the old, the old dude or the old gal sitting there; they're just killing it, and they've been mm-hmm. killing it forever because they they've got the mindset right. and the fortitude and the grit to work in a commission-based yeah. arena because they understand I get what I get. It's on me. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, again, that's rare. And in a lot of places you can't make it commission-based anyway. Mm-hmm. So it goes well, that, back to, are you going to do more for more money? And the answer is just no, it just simply doesn't work like that. Well, in, in the, in the old days in the factory, they used to pay by piece. It used to be piecework, you know? So sure. the more you made, the more widgets you produced, the more money you would make. Right, which makes but sense to me. It, it does to some, but it led to a lot of um, it, le- it led to a lot of issues for, in the safety world because people were taking were shortcuts and they were rushing and, and they were quality issues as well. You yeah, have quality so, control in place as well because I'm just doing it just to do it. But it, it, it makes sense to you know to incentivize people to sure. work hard, and there will be those that rise to the occasion and do well. But there were also some kind of conflicting messages, you know. We're starting to see that now when people are claiming to be more productive working from home. It's like, well, what's suddenly making you more productive? And, and define productivity. In the factory, I can clearly see, okay, you made more widgets. Mm-hmm. You know what's so funny? I use the widget example in my classes, and I have kids go, what's a widget? I'm like, <laughs> dude, it's an imaginary. Right. So, like, they'll be looking it up, like, trying to find widget on their phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> But it's true, man. but you, you can clearly see, like, I can see how yes. many widgets you it's made. Very objective. I can see how many walls you built. I can see how many cars you sold. Mm-hmm. But in, in, you know, the softer jobs, the management type jobs, the tech jobs, like how much work are you doing? It gets harder to see. And now, so now working from home, when you say I'm more productive, well, what do you mean by that? Are you actually doing more work for the company? In most cases, some cases, that's true. Yeah. Because they're being left alone. They're not inundated with meetings. They're not being bothered. They can get more work done. Uh, and in some cases, what they mean is I get more of my own personal stuff done, but I'm doing the same amount of work for you that I was doing in the office. But now right. I can walk the dog and do laundry. I can yeah. work out whatever it means. So now it begs the question is, okay, you're actually doing less for the same amount of Right, you're working less hours for the same amount of pay. In reality, you're more efficient mm-hmm. from home. I agree with that. But you're not more productive for the company. Right, right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I would agree. I, I can remember when we would, when I would work from home, when I was with OSHA, 
and occasionally you would have case files to write up or you would have other issues. You would, they would allow you to work from home. It was very difficult to get permission to work from home. You had to give a plan of what you were, you were going to accomplish. You had to report on what you accomplished. It was almost more trouble than it was worth. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I had a sick kid or something or if I needed something, I was really there to attend to that. Sure. And I would be working, but I'm taking care of a sick Which kid. Which I think is great to be able to do that. Yeah, and you know get, I mean. and there's going to be a balance. This COVID thing is going to force leaders to find a balance between work from home and come in the office. Mm-hmm. Because there is truth. When you, when you hop in your car and you go to work, your mindset changes. I'm going there to do something. It's just like going to the gym. We've talked about this. That's mm-hmm. why home gyms fail. There's going to be a lot of home fitness equipment for sale here within the year, <laughs> right. I promise you. Because Absolutely. people are going to realize they spend a shitload of money on their Pelotons and their, what the hell is that thing now, the mirror or whatever the hell oh, it yeah, is, yeah. and they're not using it. It's just collecting dust. And then you really don't do it until you go somewhere and go to the gym, have that mindset. Same, same thing happens to work, mm-hmm. right? You, you change your mindset when you come in to work. But there's, there's going to be a balance because there is benefit to working mm-hmm. from home. Don't get me wrong. There's that, yeah. that work-life balance. And maybe those things aren't so horrible. You know, maybe right. actually I need to stay home because I have a sick child or something sure. and I'm still getting some work accomplished. Maybe that's better than getting no work accomplished. Right. So you're going to see more flexibility um, from leaders. And that's a leadership challenge. You know, mm-hmm. probably another one we should highlight is, is finding that balance. But in industries you, you deal with, there is no work from home option. No, no, typically You not. are coming to the job site. You're coming to the factory. You're coming to the shop. Mm-hmm. There, you're, none of that's happening from home. Right. So, you know, when you see the news, like, ah, work from home is the way, the, the future, it's like that's a very small portion of the jobs out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody that the blue collar jobs, they never worked from home this entire time. Right. They were always going into They were factory. still going to work. Yeah. And we forget about that. We gloss over that. Mm-hmm. So that that engine never stops. You know, they're still going in. They're still going to the job site. And now there's fewer people doing it mm-hmm. on top of it all. Right. It is. They are really stressed. They are really strained to the limit in many of these facilities, which is you know, really kind of um, reducing productivity or production, maybe I should say. You know, they're producing less. There's a shortage of more things. It's increasing risk. Increasing risk. Because now you're trying to do more with less. Yes. And people are pushing to work harder, try to get more out. They're working longer yeah. hours. And you, you and I both know what happens when you start working longer yeah. hours. Oh, and, undoubtedly. And now you're starting to cut corners and just yeah. mistakes happen. Yeah, these are things that those of us in the safety community worry about because I think we are pushing employees harder because we have fewer and we still need, you know, the demand for the product is still there. And so this is a real uh, leadership challenge, I think. And it's one of those things where um, vigilance is more important now more than ever because of that. We're trying to do more with less. Um, Efficiency is huge, right? We're trying to do more with less. Um, we're rushing to get people on a job site because we are hurting on employees. So we have to be careful about the tendency to rush the training, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rush the safety protocols, get them through the course as fast as you can. Cause we need the body on the job site. Right. right so right. I'm not yes. saying we cut corners, but you rush things like you, you naturally do. rush things. So you're trying to get more people in there. Um, there's, there's more work than the bodies I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I am offering better incentives and more pay, Right. I still have to be careful about how quickly I move that train right. of getting people in and getting people out or how long I'm working them because we got to get the job done. The deadline's coming up. We got to mm-hmm. have the road paved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know we're down 25% people. But we got to get it done. 
you know. So right. now you now you're doing twelves. Now you're doing overtime. Now you're there on Saturdays and Sundays, and then we know yeah. ultimately where that leads. Yeah, I always found it funny that the medical community, like, we know data shows without a doubt that like after eight hours, people's capacity diminishes. Yes, right. Their attention to detail diminishes. Uh, mistakes increase. People get tired. Being tired, driving tired is worse than driving drunk. They've shown in mm -hmm. a lot of cases because mm -hmm. your your ability to process information and react and everything. Yet, what is commonplace in the medical community? 12, 14-hour shifts. Yeah, work more. Without a doubt, 12, 14-hour shifts. 10 days in a row. And it always blew my mind mm -hmm. that uh, of all industries that isn't regulated, even trucking, you cannot drive after so many hours. Right. If you log so many hours in a week, you cannot drive anymore. Um, Werner just had a big lawsuit because it wasn't even the driver's fault. Uh, a car reared lanes and hit the truck, injured the people severely. The truck... It wasn't a truck's fault at all, but he was over his hours. So he's immediately Yeah, that liable. came out the investigation. Right. And, yeah. it, the dude did nothing wrong, mm -hmm. but, and, and, and we know this, mm -hmm. and what's one industry that's not regulated on hours? The medical industry, medical industry. <laughs> which always baffled me. Like, you know, how do you not comment. mandate that nurses, eight hours is the most they can do. Doctors, eight hours comment. is the most they can do. Yeah. That's interesting. And, yeah, that's probably suitable for all industries when we know that, you know, the errors are going to increase, injuries are going to increase above a certain point. One of the, you know, one of these companies that I have, um, we've talked about, Make You Safe, they, they are one of those companies that makes the wearable device yep. that kind of monitors your activities. We saw them. We were, at, yeah, yeah, they were at that at conference we did with yes. the Encore Safety Network. Um, one of the things that you can use that data for is to kind of track how much work an employee is doing. You know, if they are, you know, it, it has that, it, it monitors movements and activities, and or at least, I, I should say movements, you know, it's not really monitoring activities per se, but if you have an employee whose, you know, movement profile is way beyond the norm, they are certainly increasing their likelihood of an, of an injury or an incident of some sort, you know. So, or just the duration that they're doing it. Yeah. I, I think that's it's important. Interesting. Man, we are up on the hour. Again, that just goes by so quickly that it's hard. Yeah, I'm not even sure we stayed on topic at any uh, point. I'm not sure what the topic was, so <laughs> that's fine. You know, Cam's I mean, over here going, oh, you lost me Yeah, what topic? Ago. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> He's already on to the weekend, which is what we all should be thinking about now, I suppose. Well, um, really interesting points. There's a lot that we have to unpack in that, and maybe, you know. And we missed a couple of questions next time. We, we didn't even get time. to all the questions, so we can save these questions for next time, but... Keep them coming, though. Yeah, if a question does come up from anything we talked about today or from past discussions on leadership, make sure you send them in. Doug at FletcherSafety.com. Email them in to me, and I'll try to get them to Aaron. You know, if I, <laughs> I get through one, a, one, one an hour, but that's all right. So, everybody, have a good weekend. Um, focus on what's important, why we're doing this. You know, focus. I was talking to a young safety guy the other day, and he was really frustrated with some things at work. Uh, he was being asked to do more than he was capable of delivering, and he was frustrated. And I said, look, man, um, just you know, focus on your employees first and foremost. Make sure you're looking out for your employees. The rest of that stuff will just have to take care of itself. But don't lose sight of the fact that we're doing this just to make sure we're taking care of those employees. So, well, And to our point of, of safety, the safety person um, being a recognized leader, you know, if you're a young safety professional, you're the young safety guy or safety girl, uh, you have to, and I don't want to say stand up for yourself, but you have to have those conversations with your leadership to say, look, I cannot be an add-on 
to this company. I have to be an integral part of the leadership process. That's a great point. Meaning that when I walk around, that people understand that this is supported by the boss, this is supported by the CEO, that my words are the CEO's words. And in fact, the CEO needs, the CEO or whoever it is, need to echo what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that, that this is incredibly important and it's important for you that we're here for you. It's It's the fabric of the company. It's not just this person off in the corner that OSHA says we have to have so we don't get sued. Right. Um, right. But it's a two way street. You can't expect it to happen if it's not already part of the culture. Right. So it's on the safety professionals It's on us as professionals to push that, to be a part of the culture, have those conversations and, and not in a, Hey boss, this is what we have to do. It's Hey boss, this will be better if, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You help me become, you allow me to become part of the leadership process. You allow me to sit in on decisions and weigh in from a safety standpoint. Uh, you allow me to show how safety helps us on the bottom line and helps us in costs and waste and all these things. Um, you have to have that conversation. You have to have the courage to have that conversation to present the safety professional as a needed leader in the company to prevent these issues that oh, I'm frustrated. I can't get them to do this or they won't just see me eye to eye on this. And it's, it's because you're coming at it from the, the wrong way. You're saying, look, we need to do this thing. Yeah. Right. And they're like, well, what's this thing and what's it mean to me? Okay. The conversation needs to be, how can we integrate this better in our leadership process? How can I get not, not being a decision maker, right? Don't, don't come across like I need to be a decision maker. Like you don't want to do that because mm -hmm. they're going to push back on you. Um, but you have to come across as like, Hey, can I get in? Can I be made a part of these meetings? Not because I need to know the financial situation, but, um, I want to be able to interject the safety aspect of these mm -hmm. things. I That's want to be able to have point. the safety. I want to weave safety into the fabric of these conversations of the company. So now we're creating this culture and it permeates throughout. And, and we're thinking not just in dollars and cents all the time, but we're thinking in terms of safety as well right. and, and how they interact. Cause they are, inter they are intertwined intimately. Mm -hmm. No, that's actually really an interesting point. I think that's a discussion in and of itself. It's just that involvement in some of those decisions or at least an opportunity to contribute to some of those decisions rather than have to, after the fact, go back and try right. to and, retrofit and, and, and safety really, into sure. those decisions. And really push for your, your weekly safety meeting, not to be like, all right, Doug, what's going on this week? Well, we've had zero incidents and one near miss and uh, our our – what is it? Our, we're still 375 consecutive days without a problem. Okay, great. Thanks. And that's usually what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, give me the stats and mm -hmm. let's move on. It needs to be a deeper conversation. Right. Push. Push for it to be a deeper conversation, not just a blabbing of, all right, we set the record. We're out 1,258 days without an incident. And okay, great. Big deal. Big mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. um, those are just stats. Yeah. Like, let's have better conversations, push for better conversations. I think that's, I think that's a great, a great point. Great advice. So, all right, guys, that's all we got for you this week. Have a great weekend. Have a good week next week. Um, I'm going to be, well, I'd call it vacation, We're but both I'll gonna be, be tanning. Yeah. We, we will both, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be down in the, uh, Caribbean I'll be in or Cancun. I'll be oh, in down Cancun. in Mexico. I will not be quite so fortunate, but <laughs> <laughs> we will both be out. So if you hear from us, great. If not, we'll be back in touch in another week or two. Thanks, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.